Welcome to the Wondering Toward Wisdom podcast. Today, Joel and I continue talking about sophistic views of God, particularly in terms of the nature of God's power. Rather than focus purely on Plato here, we spend a bit of time looking at how God is represented in Scripture, primarily in Luke and Acts. We argue not that it is wrong to see God as powerful at, or as power as a central property of God, but that we have misunderstood what real power is. We specifically seem to see power as the capacity to kill and exclude that is wielded by everyone in the world with any authority. But scripture shows us the God who stands against this, most evident in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. In this, we're working up toward the claim that a sophist God is a God of the power of death, while the God hinted at by Plato and manifest in the person of Jesus is the God of whatever this other kind of power is. Now, Wondering Toward Wisdom is a part of the Tactical Faith Podcast Network. Check out tacticalfaith.com where you'll find information about our organization, blogs, opportunities to support us. If you have comments, complaints, requests, please contact us at wondering at tacticalfaith.com or tweet us at, at wonderingwisdom. Both of those have an underscore where the O or the A would be in wondering. Enjoy. Welcome back to the podcast. Last time we talked about power and goodness and godness <laughs> well i'm not sure that's necessarily the right way to say it but we're, we talked about the relationship between power and goodness and how god is powerful and god is good and whether the two uh have to be connected in the way that i think we often typically connect them um, and we're, we talked about how that relates to Christianity. We talked a little bit about how that relates uh, with Euthyphro uh, and the Platonic dialogues about how the Sophists, if you remember, um, how they viewed the relationship between power and and goodness and, and God. Um, we're going to keep moving with that. We're going to get more clear about why this is a problematic view, why this is a problematic approach. Um, and, and Travis is going to keep leading us through the Euthyphro uh, while, while also pulling in uh, some, some passages from the Bible to help do this. When, when we talked last time about how power, like what is the primary attribute of the gods in the Euthyphro or the way we view God is power. Um, the question is, what exactly is that power? Now, if you, if you happen to be, have listened to our podcast from the start, um, you which, are a saint. You are you, a true yeah. saint for putting up with that those first few episodes. But <laughs> saint and or moron, but whatever. Um, <laughs> if you've been listening for a while, some of this is going to be review because because we've we've talked about some of this before. Um, though it's becoming more and more clear to me as I as I as uh, basically I'm sort of studying scripture. The more the more I do it, the more I reflect on it, the more I realize this. Some of these ideas are just. Central, I think, central to Scripture. So, you can see this clearly in some passage in in some passages where they really jump out. So, the question is, what precisely are we talking about when we're talking about power? What is this power? Now, if we look at the Sophists, we see that power is basically the the capacity to fulfill something like your animal desires. So, remember that the Sophist view of human of humans is that we are animals who have been given cleverness and fire. And finally, because we were all dying off, a sense of shame and justice. Shame and justice are useful tools for keeping us, for allowing us to gather into groups and to maintain and to survive, but they are not 
the means by which we are fulfilled because they're too far removed from our fundamental nature. Our fundamental nature is animal. And so what is power? Well, power is the capacity to fulfill your animal desires. And the best way to do that, if Thrasymachus in Book One of the Republic is right, is to take is to overthrow whoever's above you and make a kingdom that is crafted around fulfilling your desires. So Thrasymachus talks, for example, about a shepherd. What's a shepherd's purpose? Is it to take care of the sheep? No, it's to it's to use the sheep, to shear them or eat them, right? Maybe both. Um, it's not to it's not to bring about the health of the sheep. It's always for the sake of of gaining something for himself. And Socrates pushes really hard, and, sh- and I think makes a pretty compelling case that this is not, in fact, that is not, in fact, the purpose of a shepherd. But we're not talking about Republic right now. We're talking about Euthyphro. So the question is, what precisely is power? How does that relate to to goodness? The sophist view of power is the capacity to take the world and to make it your own, to, to make it consumable for yourself, to be able to take things and make them their own. And I think this is how we view God. What is God fundamentally? God is fundamentally the most powerful being that created the universe so that he might consume it. That is, get stuff out of it, right? Get Gather praise, gather worship. Glory. Glory, and other words like that, that kind of all mean the same thing. God is looking to get something from us. That's why he created us. And so he created a series of laws to make so that he gets more stuff out of us, to make sure that we act appropriately according to how he would like things to be, so that we don't fail to give him glory and praise and honor. Despite the fact that that doesn't make any sense with any scriptures, it makes sense with a couple of scriptures, but you got to take them out of the context of the rest of the Bible. That's we tend to sort of look at things that way, and I, and if you talk to if you talk to atheists who who criticize the Bible, I mean that's how they describe it. God created a bunch of creatures who don't really have clear evidence that He exists. Uh, nevertheless, they're meant to praise Him, and if they don't praise Him, He's going to torture Him for eternity because that's just the kind of guy God is. Well, I mean, that's the that's a euthyphro view of God. That's a sophistic view of God. Unfortunately, that's also the view of God that most Christians hold. It is not a Christian view of God, though. At least I don't think so. Uh, we might have a, maybe we're, we have a little bit of a here. But so I want to look at what power is supposed to look like. Because we, we think of... When you look at the Bible, what is God doing? It seems like God is wrestling with getting humans to do what? To use their power on his behalf rather than power on behalf of the world? I'm not sure. It seems more like God is trying is being very subversive with our idea of what power is. And so the first clue of this is in 1 Samuel. Right, so you got the you got the time of the judges, and everything's a disaster because Israel doesn't have a king. They want a king. Samuel says, eh, eh, "You don't want a king." And God says, "Listen, Samuel, chill." He didn't say chill, but whatever the ancient <laughs> Hebrew was, chill. Look, they've rejected me as king, not you. 
they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me as their king. So do what they say and just give them a king. Just realize it ain't going to be purdy, right? And what what did what did Israel want? They wanted a king so that they could be like the nations. They have and they they specifically say one that will lead us in battle. So what what's the point of the king? Well, the point of the king is to consolidate power, and to to give a sense of unity to the confederation that is Israel at the time, so that they can mainly so they can fight the bad guys, so they can exert power. It'll consolidate power. Um, what Samuel says is, by the way, the king's going to going to use his power against you too, right? You know that, right? Um, he's going to collect taxes and all this other kind of stuff. And so, um, you know how much we all love taxes. So, we I think contemporary Christian we we might look at that and say, well, that's. I mean, God is the spiritual king, and the king of Israel is the worldly king. I don't see why that's an issue. I mean, they're two different sorts of things. But the issue is not a matter of power in particular domains. It has to do with the nature of power itself. And we get we get a lot of clues of this throughout the Old Testament, but specifically when Jesus comes. When we talk about the establishment of a king, you know, so they can you know, fight the bad guys, you know, it, it, even though they're going to have to pay taxes, the king's going to use them and all that. Um, there, there's an element of um, fight, you know, the king fights the battles for him. It's not just that it's a defensive thing, but they they want a king to lead them into battle to expand the territory, which um, part of that, why that's a rejection of God as king is because God, God, when he establishes Israel, he paints this picture that Israel is going to be a light to the nation and, and the, the kingdom of God is going to spread through the faithfulness of Israel. And Israel saying, let's not go that route. Let, we don't want to have to be faithful. We want to, we, we want to just wipe out the bad guys. We want to take over their land. We want to make them our servants. And that's how we're going to spread the kingdom by force, not by light. And so that's, or at the very least, first we have to beat everyone down. Then we can be a light to them. We have yes. to win first, though. Yes. That's a constant critique that God has on Israel. Like, you look at them, who does who is constantly condemned as bad kings? Those who make alliances with the other na- with the nations. Well, what's wrong with making alliances? That's a good thing. Because they're trusting in the power of the greater of the greater empires. Right? If you look at world history, Israel barely shows up. It's a it's a nothing. It's a nothing power. If you read the Bible, it looks like Israel's the 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 major power in the in the world that's you know everyone's concerned about. You read world history and you're like, I can't find Israel in here anywhere. Like there's a brief period where they're doing kind of all right and they're sort they sort of show up on the radar, but for the most part, they're just a they're just a country that just gets keeps getting beat up by the by the ones fighting. They they beat them up on the way to the real nation that they're fighting, right? right. And so you got Assyria in the north, you got Egypt sort of you know to the south and the in the in the west and so forth. And, and Israel's where they pass through to attack each other. And so um, Israel's constantly trying to protect themselves from one enemy by aligning themselves with another instead of aligning themselves with God. And over and over again, God keeps showing. Like you see these stories all the time, right? Um, 
where where the the kings are condemned for certain kinds of alliances because they've made an alliance with death is you know is one of the ways that it's said, and uh, which is very very important. They've made an alliance with death, and God's like, this isn't this isn't how you're supposed to be. But it makes sense. It's practical. It's reasonable. It's it's justified by common sense. It's and perfectly way, natural. I mean, you look at how at all the great empires. And they didn't spread their ideas or they didn't spread their rule by, you know, spreading their ideas or, um, you know, those kinds of things that they went in and, and made you submit, um, you know, wiped you out if you didn't submit. Um, so you had incentive to submit and, and to follow their, their ideas, uh, whether you believe them or not. Yeah. Just like a good apology. Or, <laughs> so, um, yeah, so so the, the idea is Israel was, well, they were being like the nations, follow suit. But God said, no, 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 you're not supposed to be like the nations. You're supposed to be a light to the nations. And if you're like them, you're not being a light to them. And so, so well, what was Israel supposed to do? Just sit around and take it? Well, no, they were supposed to serve God. Who knows what would have happened had Israel actually followed through on the covenant? Who knows? Who knows what would happen if if we did? So let's let's set that set that aside a little bit. Uh, what if we really took Jesus seriously? <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> that's stealing from a book title. I think we mentioned that a couple episodes ago. So so let's let's take a. I just want to qu- take a quick look, and I've stolen this from other scholars. Um, and I actually I don't remember exactly where I got it. So. So I feel bad. I'm trying to look at my books real quick to see. But there's a, uh, if you look at the Luke-Acts structure, so Luke Luke and Acts are both written by by Luke. And they're, you know, two parts to a single book. And Luke-Acts is set up in a way where there's a contrast between Rome and Jesus. There are what I would call two kinds of power that are presented in Luke-Acts. We'll call the first empire power because it relates to the Roman Empire, and this is in fact what a lot of the Jewish leaders were were attracted to and acting in line with. But I'll get there in a second. So the whole the whole book the whole the the two book series of Luke Acts. What do we find at the beginning and the end? References to Rome at the beginning. Uh, Herod, who was made king by Rome, and then you know during the reign of a Caesar Augustus, there is a census made, right? Since mm-hmm. a census really made the Israelites incensed, you might say. There's a reason. This is used for tax purposes and to and for the for the rulers of Rome to glory at the number of subjects underneath them. So it really made people mad. It was a time take the taking of a census often caused rebellions to to break out. Jesus is born during a census, during an ex, uh, the exertion of Roman power over their subjects. That's where Jesus is born, and he's born in a barn. That's why he leaves the door open for all of us. That's not, it wasn't actually a barn, but I like to make that joke. <laughs> so that's the beginning of Luke, and Luke acts as a two-part, you know, two parts of a book. What do you find at the end of, end of Acts? Well, Paul's in Rome, preaching the gospel. And so the bookends of Luke-Acts are Rome and sort of like a chiastic structure. Well, what's at the the center of Luke-Acts? 
What do you find at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts? The ascension. Res- the, well, the resurrection and the idea of this. So there's at the cent- really at the centerpiece is death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus and the spirit in all of this. Because some people say the book of Acts should be called not the Acts of the Apostles, but the Acts of the Spirit. And Luke is just shot through with the spirit. Luke is the gospel of the Holy Spirit. Now, all of them are because the Holy Spirit is everything. But uh, even Jesus acted on by the Holy Spirit, right? His Arguably, if you if you talk to people, he didn't do miracles by his own power, but by the power of the Spirit. And so that's why we can we are to be doing just as much and even more than he is because we have the same Spirit. So con- so we really have—that's the, that's the other power, by the way, is the Spirit, the power of the Spirit. So there's empire power and there's spirit power. Um. Empire power is the power manifested by Rome. What is that? It's the power to kill. And here we find where this power of the spirit and the and the empire power meet. Where do they meet? In Jesus. And I don't mean they come together. I mean, that's where they clash. That's where empire power comes right up against spirit power and tries to destroy it. How does it try to destroy it? In the same way empire power tries to do everything. Kill. Death. Consume. Destroy make my own by conquering in one way or another. And that conquering can be by the sword or the gun or the bomb. It can also be by humiliation, exile, exclusion. It might even come by defeating someone with an argument. Right? That that, that little thrill you get when you win, that's empire power. It's a feeling that I've made my enemy, I've put my enemy under my foot. What, do, what kind of power does Jesus manifest? Does he go around stomping down his enemies? I mean, he says some mean things. Cleanses the temple. I mean, that, that was what was expected of, of the Messiah. I mean, when when the Jews at that time thought of the Messiah, they were, they were looking for someone to take out Rome. Yeah. Um, they, you know, they... There was a political messiah, a, a messiah who would give them the power, the the empire power, uh, not um, a suffering servant. Yeah, they still had that same old idea. We want to be like the nations. So first thing we're going to do is we're going to destroy Rome because we hate Rome. And they had good reason to hate Rome. All right, if you find out about the socioeconomic situation in Israel at the time, because of Rome, because of taxes and all this kind of stuff, a lot of people were being sold into debt slavery because they lost, they were losing everything because they couldn't pay the taxes. And so there's all kinds of horrible stuff going on. They hated Rome. And a lot of people would become rebels um, and uh, and were fighting the zealots and the, the dagger wielders and who were basically terrorists um, at the time because they were, it was nasty. Jesus comes along. And they're waiting for that Messiah. They're waiting for the Messiah who's going who's gonna to raise up an army and overcome Rome and once again be a king and make us like the nations. Um, and then we can start being a light, right? Once we kill everyone and put them under our boot, then we can start being a light and showing them how they're supposed to be living their lives, right? So as soon as Euthyphro can get his father convicted for murder, then he can show him what piety is at the point of a sword. As soon as Athens can get Socrates to submit to their view of how things should be, 
then he can be good at the point of a sword, at the threat of death. As soon as Israel can get Jesus to become their Messiah and kill Rome, then they'll be able to show Rome the light and the way that you're supposed to live. But the problem is the power is the issue. You can't use empire power and then try to teach spirit power. But but what is what is maybe we should talk about what is the spirit power that we're talking about? What is the Holy Spirit? Who who is the Holy Spirit is what I should say, but what is the power that the Holy Spirit gives to us? What's the power that the Holy Spirit gave to Jesus? Well, probably I think it's a relatively important thing is that the Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. The Spirit gives us the power to overcome death. So the, if the power of empire is fundamentally death, exile, exclusion, what do we see in Jesus? Overcoming death, overcoming exclusion, invitation. He takes the sick, restoration. He takes the sick, he takes the sinner, he takes the traitor, he takes all these people and he draws them in and they are restored. And just like God did with the Exodus, he frees them from their captivity and then calls them to live a life in accordance with what he's made them. Right? Again, this is this is even all of Paul's letters are essentially, this is who you are. Now live this way. It's not live this way so that you might become so that you can mentor the kingdom. He said, Well, I brought you into the kingdom. Now start living like you belong in the kingdom. Um, you're my people. Here's how my people live. And so Jesus is constantly inviting and inviting in. He's not setting a bunch of standards. He's not saying you have to live up to the way that I declare you should be. Otherwise, I'm not going to let you in. He just goes and like reaches out. Now, again, I'm not saying there there is no ethic here. There's an element of empire power to the, okay, here's the standards. If you're going to get through this gate, you got to be like this and this and this. Jesus says, you know what? Y'all are violent. And so, you know what I'm going to do? I'm not going to kill you. You're going to kill me. And that's going to break the power. Uh, that's going to break the power of death, the power of sin, aka empire power. And and you can even say that when Paul is saying, you know, you're in the kingdom now, live like it, like you're you you belong, so live like it. He's not saying, and if you don't live like it, you're going to get kicked out. What he's saying is, you you're not going to to experience the kingdom if you don't live this way. You're, 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 you're going to be unable. It's not that I'm kicking you out, but you're going to be unable to, to experience the kingdom in its fullness and the, and the goodness of the kingdom. If you're not, if you don't act like you're, you belong. Yeah. And there's a, there's are. a point, there's a point too, where Jesus talks about people being excluded because they won't come. They don't want to be a part of the kingdom. And the reason is, is because what do we want? We want power. We want glory. We want status. We want money. A little bit of mammon in there would be nice, right? Um, We want that kind of stuff. And we even look for a heaven to be that, right? I can't wait till that atheist guy who defeated me in an argument. I can't wait to see. Well, I mean, I want him to be saved. But man, it'll be nice because he humiliated me. And just to see him burn. Well, I mean, I don't want him to burn, but man, it'll be not yeah, like when, if he becomes a Christian, then he realizes that I was right. It's going to feel so good. Right. Eh, I mean, none of us would say that out loud except for me, but it might be in there. So, um, 
but the the point is what what's what's going on is not that a bunch of people are being kicked out. It's that the gospel Jesus died for all. That's what the Bible says. I mean, I don't I don't want to I don't want to just make up scripture, but that sounds like something in the Bible. And what does that mean? It means you're all invited, right? Go out into the highways and the byways and find anyone you can and tell them to come into my feast. Who doesn't come to the feast? The guy's like, I don't want to come to your feast. I got a, I got a new set of oxen I want to try out. Which these things, new land, new oxen, new what in, the, in this parable, are, in, are status symbols, symbols of power. And they're dishonoring the person who's setting the feast by saying, I don't want to go to your feast because it's not worth my time. And so the guy brings in the lame, the sick, the, out, the outcasts, the rejects, and just basically whoever you can grab from the street. I don't care what their status is. Just bring them in because those guys aren't good enough for that or they think they're too good for this. So anyway, people, people are going to be excluded from the kingdom, but it's because they don't want to be there. That's what it seems to be. Now, I don't want to get into soteriology a bunch or anything, you know, talk about salvation. I just, I'm trying to get to this idea of power that, that Jesus's power is one of invitation. The spirit, what is the spirit? What's the, what are the main things that we see the Holy Spirit doing? Uniting, bringing restoration, bringing life, uniting the body of Christ in love and breaking the boundaries between the, the fundamental uh, cultural, racial, religious division of the first century was between Jew and Gentile. Well, that, that boundary just disappears, right? The Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost, and suddenly they have all these languages. Bab- you know, the Tower of Babel is undone right there. The, the fundamental division that came with the Tower of Babel is undone by the Spirit, and it doesn't take long before suddenly Christianity is spreading throughout the whole Gentile Roman Empire, and Rome is overtaken by the power of the Spirit. Not not through conquering, not by the power of empire, not by empire power. And Jesus says, Israel, if you only, if you, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who, you know, kill the province of earth, if you only knew what would bring you peace. He's saying this as he goes there and is about to get killed. When it, when Israel aligns itself with the with the power of empire to kill the one who's bringing the spirit and Israel suffered greatly for that. I don't know if I wouldn't say they're being punished necessarily, but empire power breeds empire power. And Israel kept trying to defeat Rome, and I'm sorry. Rome first century Mm, not many have a chance against Rome first century. If you're going to play the empire power game, Rome is going to win. And Rome did win. And, you know, temple was destroyed in 70. Then later the Bar Kokhba revolt in what, 135, something like that, just completely, just destroyed Jerusalem completely. And I think upon pain of death, no Jew was even allowed in Jerusalem after the Bar Kokhba revolt. The Roman had enough. Right, they they put Israel in their place, but G- Jesus is looking at them, and I'm, I'm, hopefully I don't sound anti-Semitic or whatever. But Jesus was saying, "I want you to know what peace is, but peace doesn't come through the sword, not through empire power. It comes through the power of the Spirit." And look how Rome was conquered by Christianity. I'm not necessarily saying when I'm not talking about Constantine. Okay, I'm not talking about Constantine. That's an uncomfortable confusion that may not be positive. And there's some who argue that it actually was more positive than what it sounds like. Um, but you know, I, I don't really know what to say about that. I'm a little, 
that seems more like an alignment of empire power, and that's something to say about the way we do politics. Christians do politics today, but let's, I'll set that aside. For well, now. well, I mean, I, I do want to say that when you try to mix empire power with spirit power, one's going to win out. You can't serve both God and no one can serve two masters. Right. You can't serve both God and mammoths or something like and, that. And anytime the empire power and spirit power have been mixed in the history of the world, the empire power has been the one that remains. Yeah, but they just didn't do it right. We'll do it right <laughs> this time. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I hear a lot of people say that about all kinds of different ideologies that fail. So, um, uh, okay, so we have empire power and we have spirit power. Empire power is about getting mine, using the power of the sword, uh, consumption, consumption, consumption. Spirit power looks like the stuff in Acts to in, in, in the book of Acts in particular. It's actually all throughout Luke, but I don't want to talk, let's not talk about that. But let's talk about... So spirit, uh, empire power is about my, what I would consider my just desserts, right? You know, right. I, this is mine. It belongs to me, so on and so forth. But the spirit brings out something that eh, people are going to be uncomfortable here, but it looks a lot like communism, right? The difference between communism and what's going on in Acts 2 and Acts 4 is communism is at the point of a sword. It's empire power trying to bring about uh, a nice structure where everyone's sharing everything, but you can't make people love one another by putting a sword to their neck. Acts 2 and Acts 4 is by the power of the spirit, not by the power of the sword. So people say, well, Jesus, the early church was communist. You have to really stretch the word to mean something other than what it's really used for. But nevertheless, it's a, if there's a group of people who truly love one another, and by the way, it didn't last real long, right? Ananias and Sapphira come in there and They've already shown that the corruption of empire power comes in, right? It immediately comes in. They're trying to they're trying to gain status by looking like they're giving more, but still holding on to mammon, holding on to their money, but also look like they're loving. So they're putting on the masks, sort of like we're supposed to be doing, which is funny. <laughs> nah. But uh, um, but they're doing that, and then they're judged and immediately the power of death takes hold of them. <laughs> They're struck dead. And uh, which is a little bit rough because they were more generous than most of us are. So, but the thing is they were bringing in empire power into, into a place that had been purified of it and was, was, was run by the power of the spirit. And there's people sharing, they're selling, they're helping one another. And in that the spirit is powerful and the church grew greatly daily. Now, our church doesn't grow that greatly daily. And by our church, I mean the church in the United States. Uh, and the reason is we need more exciting programs and a better building. Or maybe we need more spirit. And by spirit, I don't mean speaking in tongues and whatever. I mean, that might be part of it. I'm not going to debate that kind of stuff. Spirit, the fundamental power of the spirit is the power of love, which overcomes death and brings life, brings inclusion. Um, and, and, and unites the church. The church isn't united. We're divided up based on the attempt to maintain control and power to keep our budgets good. I'm going to, I could go on and on and on. 
and I'm going to make everyone mad. But let, let, let's just let's just say John 17. Jesus is about to die, to suffer and die. What's he praying for? He's praying for unity of those who would come after the disciples, that they would be one as Jesus and the Father are one. Philippians and, 2, the kenosis yeah. passage, may you all be in humility, consider other better, others better than yourselves and be united in one mind and be like Jesus, not considering equality with God something to be grasped, but making yourself a servant. I mean, so, it's kind of all throughout the Bible, man. Yeah. But I, I, I've got a hunch that some of our listeners might be listening and saying, okay, so you've convinced me that Jesus and this uh, sophistic uh, view of power and goodness don't fit together. But why do you think Socrates would disagree? And what, what does Socrates <laughs> yeah. think? Like, yeah. I, we- I thought this was a podcast that talked about philosophy too. Um, and, and, you know, it is, but we, we have, I mean, we're very passionate about this. This is something that's been very transformative. When, when we started seeing the work of Jesus in this way, it was very transformative for me. It's very transformative for Travis. We get excited. We get to talking and it's, it's, it's easy to want, I mean, we could go a long time with this, but we, we need to also make sure we're giving you what we said we're going to give you. Yeah. And that's, and so I think we're, we're going to have to get to that door, to that in our next one. But, but I want you to understand that in some ways, what, what's actually gone on here in, in my own mind is, is partly studying scholars of the new Testament, listening to the Bible project, which you should all be listening to and exploring Plato at the same time. And really actually in the background of this is Nietzsche. Plato has, illuminated some of these things, but at the same time, the Bible has illuminated some of what's going on in Plato. It's, it's taken away. That's kind of a complicated thing to say, but what we're trying to talk about here is that classic question. What does Athens have to do with Jerusalem? Well, I'll show you, right? That's what we're, that's what we're trying to do here. Um, so we just spent a whole bunch of time in Jerusalem, so to speak. Uh, we need to get back to Athens. And that's what we'll do in our next episode. We're going to dig a little bit deeper into the youth. We're going to go further in the youth and dig deeper. And we're going to talk about how sophistry, when we look at ourselves in terms of sophistry and how sophistry aligns with empire power, it also causes us to see God in that way and how this leads to fundamental theological issues and really messes up everything about metaphysics and ethics and everything. If you hold a sophistic view of God or an empire power view of God, or the view that what is fundamental to God is he's in charge of everything because he has big guns. We're going to try to critique that and say, that's not the way it is using Plato, or I'm just going to say Plato's going to do it, but we'll get to that in our next episode. This is Travis. This is Joel. Have a great day. Mm -hmm.